Good morning. Let those words sink in. Haman's evil plot against the people of God. Look out for each other on the way to we worship. Good stuff lies ahead. Now's the time to find your Bible. It was around here somewhere. Turn on your phone, open the pages. We're in the book of Esther this morning, as we've just read. And I want to take a moment to pray together with you before we begin our study. Let's pray. God, help us. Meet with us here, God. Because like Esther, God, we have this feeling of of woe. Dark things are happening around us, God. Plotting men in power, leading to the death of so many throughout this world, God. Show us the answers here in your word for how we ought to respond, how it is we ought to live and move and and serve in light of your movements throughout this, this life of ours, God. Meet with us and be glorified through us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. It was a summer morning, and Ray was uh, just fixing himself some breakfast, and as he gazed out the window, he was horrified to see a young lady tumbling down the, uh, the drainage ditch. There had been plenty of storms, and the, and the, the, the water was moving quickly. So he shot out his door and he ran down to the the drainage ditch. He knew just ahead this drainage ditch dove under a road and into the main culvert where the water was deeper and moving faster and surely treachery was ahead. Ray ran along the bank and dove in. And when he came to the surface, he reached out and grabbed this young lady and held on to her. And the waters continued to tumble them down this, this little stream. And Ray reached out with a free hand and he grabbed something protruding from the bank. He didn't know if it was a limb or a rock, but he held on. And he remembered uh, uh, as he recounted the story how he was only thinking, if only I can hold on long enough for someone to get here. But he did more than that. Somehow, Ray, holding on to this young lady, was able to crawl out of this water, saving his life and hers. And in uh, April of uh, 1989, he received a silver medal from the Coast Guard for risking his life to save another. And this is really, it it seems like, you know, people probably do this uh, every summer in swimming pools and But there was something different about Ray. When he dove in for this little girl, there was something about him that we didn't know. The fact is, when he dove into that water, he knew very clearly he couldn't swim. He never learned to swim. Well, why would he jump in the water if he didn't know how to swim, if it was dangerous for this young woman? How much so more for him? What Ray displayed is what we often refer to as heroism or bravery. And I want to ask you something here this morning. When's the last time that you were brave? I mean, really. You knew that there was a great danger 
to you personally, and yet you acted for the good of someone else. When was the last time that you were brave? Nelson Mandela once said that I learned that courage and bravery was not the absence of fear. It's one of the wonders of bravery and courage. It doesn't mean you don't have any fear. He said it was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is one who does not, it is not one who does not feel afraid, but one who acts anyway. Bravery. So when's the last time, my friends, you were brave? We are studying a book in the Old Testament, the book of Esther. It's a relatively short book, but it is a compelling book. And the books that are the most compelling to us are really the ones that we can understand the most, the ones that we can really relate to. We see this young woman in dire straits. I mean, it it takes place during that 70-year exile in a foreign land amongst foreign people in foreign ways, and they are castaways under the discipline of God's hand. And as you know, as we've gone through this story, and now the lives of the very nation are at stake, simply because one man, Mordecai, would not bow to Haman. He stood his ground. He did what he knew to be right. And there was a great threat that came afterward. And yet the God who who knew the end from the beginning and brought it about had placed Esther in a prime position, and as Mordecai's were, for such a time as this, to go to the king and plead for her people. But Esther counted the costs, you might remember last week, as she considered the law. The law said that if she went into the king uninvited by him, the law said instant death. There was only but one hope, that in some way the king who who went from one position to another, I love my wife and now I want to get rid of her, this finicky king, if he would simply extend his scepter and she touched the tip, she would be pardoned. But the man was not to be trusted. He was dragged from one place to another by counselors who simply pulled him on his ear, as it were. And so here we are, standing at the very moment when Esther has to act. It may cost her her life, and while it certainly would save her life, She had more than herself on her mind that day. In Esther chapter 5, here in verse 1, we notice, first of all, Esther's bravery. And again, I ask you this. When is the last time in your life that you were brave, that you acted against real fear, potential danger for the cause of someone else? In verses 1 to 5, we see Esther's bravery. Notice here, if you will, Esther is presenting herself to the king. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes, and she stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. Now, those of you that... uh, 
that know how the story ends, you miss the tension of this verse. I mean, these royal robes that Esther is wearing could be what she wears at her funeral, which could be in just moments. She is all dressed up, and she knows not the end of this story. But there she stands, ready to walk through a door, a door that meant life or death for her. And I notice that as she steps through, verse 2, and when the king saw Queen Esther standing at the court, she won favor in in his sight. This finicky king looked up from what he was doing, saw Esther, and who knows whether he had a good lunch, a filling breakfast, or just thought of a funny joke he'd heard the other day. I don't know what it was, my friends, but I'm guessing it was God, the God who steers the heart of the king like a river. And just like Joseph in the dungeon, God caused favor to rest upon him by the prison guard, and by all that he worked with. And relief. As the king, we see, she won favor. In his side, he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given, even up to half of my kingdom. Oh, that was uh, hyperbole there. He really was in no mood to give away half his kingdom. Remember, this, uh, this account began with a party preparing its, uh, this uh, kingdom for war. And Esther simply responded with her petition to the king. We have Esther presenting herself. We have the king now pardoning Esther. But here in verses 4 and 5, Esther now petitions the king. Now, this is the moment here, friends. I don't know if you have goosebumps just thinking about this account. Remember, she has asked Mordecai, her family member that has looked out for her, that has raised her and encouraged her to this very moment. And her response was, it could cost me my life, but if I perish, I perish. Go and ask people to fast and pray for me. Seek the God of heaven for me was the purpose of fasting. And she had walked in. She had touched the scepter. And now was her big moment. All throughout the kingdom, Jews everywhere in every province were hoping that she would simply go in and say, King, you've got to stop this. They're going to kill all of my people. King, do something, please. And as it turns out, it feels a little disappointing. I mean, you just risk your life here. What are you going to ask him? And here it is. Esther's petition. Esther said, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I've prepared for the king. What? They're not praying that you have a good lunch. What is she doing here? I mean, this was it. She made it pass. She's still alive. Go to the king and tell him. But instead, she says, you busy for lunch? And how about that Haman fellow? Can you bring him along? This is frustrating to me. 
Is it frustrating to you that you just get some anxiety in there? Come on, Esther. People are praying everywhere. They're not praying that you have a good lunch. But the king said, bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. And so the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. I think this book could have been shorter. (laughs) But perhaps uh, there were some things here at stake that Esther knew that you and I did not. Perhaps the feel of the whole moment, standing at the door, reaching in and touching the scepter, was not the time to begin pleading and crying, as she would most certainly do in chapters to come. It was not the time, perhaps not the place. And, and perhaps something else was at stake. I read this passage here, and I thought, why not now? And I remembered uh, Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, we, we not only have a repeating of a covenant, we also have a, a prophecy about how the people of God will, will go into this foreign nation, will be enslaved for 400 years. And somewhere there at the bottom of that chapter, the Lord uh, just, just kind of adds this one at the end, for the sin of the Amorites is not yet full. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean, they're pretty bad people, God. Yeah, but they have a little more rope to gather to themselves before they hang. And perhaps that's exactly what's going on here. There is yet one more action that the Lord wants to respond to in this man's life. And so the invitation to lunch is all that we get. She postpones the inevitable. She gets the, to the point here, you know, uh, that they're drinking at the, the banquet now in verse 6. In verse 6 through 9, we got Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, now what is it? Well, you're like, surely this is the moment. I mean, here's the pitch. It's fast. It's right at the right level in a way we're going to swing. And yet, sure enough, Esther postpones. My wish and my request is this. If I find favor in the sight and it pleases the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And you can only imagine people going, what is she doing here? She got in. Why didn't she just spill it? Sometimes God's leading requires a whole lot of patience. Sometimes, maybe all the time, I don't know. Rarely does God say, go in now. Let's march around the city for a few days. Well, come on, what's the point of that? Because if we're going to see God in this, we need some time to walk around and look at it from other angles. Remember this book. This book of Esther does not even mention God's name at all. And yet his fingerprints are everywhere. God moving around the chess pieces, putting people in their proper places at the purposeful times. And Esther says, tomorrow. Tomorrow will be the time. 